Just want to say welcome to all of our visitors. We're glad that the Lord have led you this way. We hope something would be said to encourage you, but we are so thankful to have you with us. Well, we're going to continue. We're going to finish up uh, chapter 9 in the Gospel of John. And so if you would turn there, and we're going to read chapter 9 in its entirety so that we might get the background as we read, just to refresh our minds. And then we'll deal with verses 24 through 41 today. Hear now the word of the living God. As he passed by, he saw a man blind from birth. And his disciples asked him, Rabbi, who sinned, this man or his parents, that he was born blind? Jesus answered, it was not that this man sinned or his parents, but that the works of God might be displayed in him. We must work the works of him who sent me while it is day. Night is coming when no one can work. As long as I am in the world, I am the light of the world. Having, these, having said these things, he spit on the ground and made mud with the saliva. Then he anointed the man's eyes with the mud and said to him, Go, wash in the pool of Siloam, which means scent. So he went and washed and came back seeing. The neighbors and those who had seen him before as a beggar were saying, Is this not the man who used to sit and beg? Some said, it is he. Others said, no, but he is like him. He kept saying, I am the man. So they said to him, then how were your eyes open? He answered, the man called Jesus made mud and anointed my eyes and said to me, go to Siloam and wash. So I went and washed and received my sight. They said to him, where is he? He said, I don't know. They brought to the Pharisees the man who had formerly been blind. Now it was a Sabbath day when Jesus made the mud and opened his eyes. So the Pharisees again asked him how he had received his sight. And he said to them, he put mud on my eyes, and I wash, and I see. Some of the Pharisees said, this man is not from God. He does not keep the Sabbath. But others said, how can a man who is a sinner do such signs? And there was a division among them. So they said again to the blind man, what do you say about him since he has opened your eyes? He said, he is a prophet. The Jews did not believe that he had been blind. and He had received his sight until they called the parents of the men who had received his sight and asked them, is this your son who you say was born blind, how then does he now see? His parents answered, We know that this is our son and that he was born blind, but how he now sees, we do not know. Nor do we know who opened his eyes. Ask him. He is of age. He will speak for himself. His parents, his parents said these things because they feared the Jews, for the Jews had already agreed that if anyone should confess Jesus to be the Christ, to be Christ, he was to be put out of the synagogue. Therefore, his parents said, he is of age, ask him. 
So for the second time, they called the man who had been blind and said to him, Give glory to God. We know that this man is a sinner. He answered, Whether he is a sinner, I do not know. One thing I know, that though I was blind, now I see. They said to him, What did he do to you? How did he open your eyes? He answered them, I have told you already, and you would not listen. Why do you want to hear it again? Do you also want to become his disciples? And they reviled him, saying, You are his disciples, but we are disciples of Moses. We know that God has spoken to Moses. But as for this man, we do not know where he comes from. The man answered, Why, this is an amazing thing. You do not know where he comes from, yet he opened my eyes. We know that God does not listen to sinners. But if anyone is a worshiper of God and does his will, God listens to him. Never since the world began has it been heard that anyone opened the eyes of a man born blind. If this man were not from God, he could do nothing. They answered, you were born in utter sin. And would you teach us? And they cast him out. Jesus heard they had cast him out. And having found him, he said, Do you believe in the Son of Man? He answered, And who is he, sir, that I may believe in him? Jesus said to him, You have seen him, and it is he who is speaking to you. He said, Lord, I believe. And he worshiped him. Jesus said, for judgment I came into the world that those who do not see may see, and those who see may become blind. Some of the Pharisees near him heard these things and said to him, Are we also blind? Jesus said to them, If you were blind, you would have no guilt. But now that you say we see, your guilt remains. This is the word of God. Let us pray. Our Lord and our God, how we thank you for your word. We thank you that you have left this for us so that we might believe, that we might grow deeper into our relationship with you. We thank you for the truth of your word that helps us to have a firm foundation that is dependent upon your word, that is able to help us to understand life and how we ought to live it. We thank you, Lord God, that your word is effective. Your word won't return void. We pray that your word, Lord, will be planted deep in our hearts, that we might be governed by your word, that we might understand life because of your word, and help us, O oh God, to meditate on your word day and night. And we pray that your word would cleanse us. It will remind us of the promises and the truth that is found therein. And we pray that we would take that word to a dying world. And we pray that we would set it on the hill so that all might see. And we pray today that the one who do not know you might know you today. Because of your word, we pray that you would draw them today. We pray that today would be the day 
of salvation, that they might testify to the truth of your word. And we pray that you would get all of the glory, the honor and praise we ask in Jesus' name. Amen. As many of us know, the natural man hates to have to submit to God because ultimately man wants to be the captain of his own life, wants to be in control. It's interesting because man wants to go to heaven, but he wants to go to heaven on his own terms. He wants to decide how he can go to heaven. Man instead rather would want to put God on, on the stand and would want to judge him. But in, in a more ultimate sense, what we're trying to say is that ultimately man wants to be on the throne. And so in order for us to truly come to know God, we must Humble ourselves. And so we're going to see some of that in the text. We're going to see this idea of man not wanting to submit to God. But we're also going to see man also willing to submit to God. And we're continuing our sermon Standing firm in the faith amidst doubt and opposition. We have a couple of points here. The struggle with skepticism. We're going to see that with the Pharisees, the Jews. We're also going to consider the beggar's wisdom. The beggar's wisdom. We're also going to consider the beggar's profession of faith. And finally, we're going to look at the moment of truth. And so we're going to be dealing with verses 24 through 41. And so let's, let's begin the struggle with skepticism. And we're able to see this uh, in verses 24 through 38. I mean, th 24 through 28. So here, we've heard the backdrop. And we're at verse 24. You can probably imagine the frustration that is brought upon the man because of the Jewish leader's inability to explain away the miracle Jesus performed on the man. They tried to get the parents to turn on the man as well. This is how badly they wanted Jesus. And we've already seen it where they're, they're trying to pursue him in such a way where they want to kill him. And so they're, they're trying to use everything in the arsenal. And so they tried to get the parents, the man's parents, to turn on the man but the parents wanted nothing to do with it. Once that didn't work, they tried or they turned their attention once again to the man that once was blind. And in verse 24, it says, so for the second time, they called the man who had been blind and said to him, give glory to God. We know that this man is a sinner. The hate that the Lord Jesus, uh, should I say, they hate that the Lord Jesus is being glorified for the undeniable miracle that has taken place. And because of their failures to discredit the Lord, they instead try to redirect the man's testimony as if he's hiding something. You will see they 
will begin to pick and choose what they want to know. You're, you're going to see this theme, this idea, we know, we know, we know. And they're picking and choosing the things that they believe that they know. So after the Jews did not believe the man's testimony that Jesus performed the miracle, they attempted to verify his statement by asking his parents whether he was born blind or when his parents refused to get involved because they were afraid to lose their position in the synagogue, they called on the man again. But this time, they would try to disprove the man's testimony by putting him under oath to try to use anything against the man to prove he's a liar. So, so this is seen in the statement, give glory to God. So the statement, give glory to God, is not a statement expressing honor to the glory of God. Instead, it is a method used to make someone promise to tell the truth by putting them under oath before God. So it's a challenge to tell the truth with God as your witness. So that's what they mean when they say give glory to God. For example, in courtrooms across America, when someone is testifying as eyewitness or as an expert witness, you might hear these words being taken as an oath. You might hear the bailer say, do you swear to tell the truth, the whole truth, and nothing but the truth, so help you God. This puts the witness on the stand under oath. And in general, this person would promise to tell the truth while they are under oath. It is also known as being sworn in. This process is important in our legal proceedings because it establishes the reliability of the testimony and it underscores the serious legal consequences such as perjury that may result from lying under oath, which can result in going to prison. So, when the Jews said to this man who once was blind to give glory to God, we know that this man is a sinner. They are using this method to make him promise to swear to tell the truth under oath. An example of this is seen in Joshua 17. You remember when Joshua was winning wars, he was defeating everyone. And then there came a time when he was starting to lose. And he was losing because someone in the camp were keeping spoils, the very thing God said not to do. And because of their disobedience, they begin losing wars. And God brought this to Joshua's attention. And so here, Joshua uses the same method. And in Joshua 17, 9, when he was made aware of this, of what Achan did, the text says, then Joshua said to Achan, my son, give glory to the Lord God of Israel and give praise to him and tell me now what you have done. Do not hide it from me. You see, it's the same method. Joshua essentially put Achan on the stand under oath to tell the truth with God as witness. The Jews attempted to do the same thing when they called on the man to give an honest testimony and for him to confess any wrongfulness in his testimony. But notice what happens in verse 25. The man once again gives his testimony. Look at verse 25 again to see the man's answer to the Jewish leaders. 
There the man answered, whether he is a sinner, I do not know. And then he addresses their theoretical claims about Jesus as a sinner. And notice they emphasize that they knew him saying, we know that this man is a sinner. But then the man also offered up his personal eyewitness testimony up against their claims to what he really knows by saying one thing I do know that though I was blind now I see. They wanted a sworn testimony and he gave it to them. The man's word was weightier because Jesus did to the man only what God can do. Made a blind man see. And it was always God's mission to do it. It was always God's mission to do it. And based on his response, he was personally convicted about speaking the truth about what Jesus did for him And he was unashamed. He was unashamed. He gave them his testimony already, and it did not change. Therefore, he restated and reiterated what he witnessed. This man believed in the Lord Jesus when he told him to go and wash in the pool of Siloam. And because of his faith, not only did he receive sight physically, but he was also being transformed spiritually through regeneration. And in verse 26, they started their cross-examination to discredit the eyewitness testimony of the man. And in verse 26, it states, they said to him, what did he do to you? How did he open your eyes? And here we see A third time, they asked him about his experience when the one who created all things also is known as the light of the world. Remember what Jesus said in verses 3 through 5 of this very chapter. He told his disciples exactly what his mission was concerning the man who was born blind. The text says, and his disciples, beginning at verse 2, asked him, Rabbi, who sinned? How, how did it happen? This man is born blind. This, this man, who, who did it? This man or his parents? They concluded that somebody did something for this man to be born blind. But what did Jesus answer? He said, it was not that this man sinned or his parents, but that the works of God might be displayed in him. We must work the works of him who sent me while it is day. Night is coming when no one can work. As long as I am in the world, I am the light of the world. It's as if the Lord Jesus is saying, I am creator. We're going to see God who takes mud and creates vision. For a man who's been born blind all of his life. I am the light of the world. And so in contrast with these verses about the works of men, we see the same idea in Titus 3 and 5 when it states, He saved us, not because of works done by us in righteousness, but according to his own mercy by the washing of regeneration and renewal of the Holy Spirit. We were blind spiritually and now we see. So there you have it. Nothing significant was in the mud. It wasn't just mud. Instead, there was a spiritual significance that the Lord was committed to do in obedience to the Father. He communicated to his disciples that it was so that the works of God might be displayed in him. And here the Lord 
explained and restated what he had been saying the whole time since the beginning. We're able to see this in John 1, verses 4 and 5. It states, in him Jesus was life, and the life was the light of men. The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness has not overcome it. Same idea. At first, the blind man was not only physically blind, but he was spiritually blind. He needed life. His soul was dead. He had no relationship with God. He was dead. And so there was nothing that he can do. There was nothing that he can offer God that would be sufficient. He was a dead man. And it's exactly what the Lord says. Unless a man is born again, cannot enter the kingdom of God. He cannot see the kingdom of God. New birth must happen. And Jesus is saying, that's why I came. I came to save sinners. I came to give light. And so we see this. He needed to be regenerated. So in the beginning, remember, Jesus stated that the man did not sin to become what he was a man born blind. Jesus knew that the greater need the blind man has had was not to have natural sight restored because what good is it to have vision and go to hell? Right? No deal. Right? Isn't that what the Lord said? What profit a man to gain the whole world and lose his soul? No deal. There is something greater that the Lord has brought us so that we can receive it. And that's why the Lord Jesus wanted to give this man life. He wanted, wanted to give him light that could shine and overcome his spiritual darkness. He needed one that was full of grace and truth. He needed the Lamb of God who could take away the sins and the sins of the world. He needed the Son of Man, the Messiah, the Savior of the world. He was born dead in trespasses and in sins, but he needed to be born again through the Spirit of God. He needed the one called Christ, who is the light of the world. And during the process of salvation, it may be considered this way. We're thinking about salvation. First, it begins with regeneration. It begins with regeneration. And second, we begin to have faith. It's as if the Holy Spirit preps us. And then the gospel goes out. And the scripture says faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of God. And then man can come from a place of regeneration and a place of faith. And say, yes, Lord, and then begin confessing that Christ is king. And fourthly, the man or woman or child will begin to repent and turn to the Lord and begin obeying God. And none of that can be done apart from Christ. But the scripture also teaches us that no man can come to the Son unless the Father draws them. And so we see this picture here, and the man is starting to realize that these Jewish leaders had no intention of seeking the truth. They were more interested in their own opinions. And in verse 27, it reads, the man answered them, I've told you already, and you would not listen. Why do you want to hear it again? Do you also want to become his disciples? I was laughing. At that, because I'm not sure, but it sounds like he was being sarcastic. <laughs> it, 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 he was either being sarcastic or he was being fed up. Like, I'm tired of this. 
Right? I'm tired of explaining to you. This is the third time. Right? I just believe that there's a lot of humor in the scriptures if you look hard enough. You're going to find it. And I find myself laughing, laughing, laughing all the time. Uh, so in response, verse 28, it says, And they reviled him, saying, You are his disciples, but we are disciples of Moses. So in response, they reviled him because of his remarks. And they did so by attempting to look down on the man as if Moses was greater than Jesus. So you see, this is how they're thinking. And so that's why, he, that's why they tried to use Moses as their foundation or their ground to try to prove that they know more, right? So it's the same struggle that's going on today with our Jewish friends, right? They don't believe Jesus to be the Savior, the Messiah. So they tried to one-up the man with their self-righteous arrogance, admitting to being a disciple of Moses. Notice their remarks in verse 29. We know that God has spoken to Moses. But as for this man, we do not know where he comes from. And we know that they know because they are already asked, isn't this Joseph's son, Mary's? It, it, how, how are you going to be the son of man? We know you. We saw you grow up. You're the carpenter's son, right? So they're familiar with him, but they're trying to play as if they do not know because they're trying to discredit the miracle that he has done. He is causing an uproar in the, the, the area, right? Everyone knows that this is something that cannot be denied. They remember giving things to this man who used to beg. They, they remember the years and years he was begging. And now they, they have nothing. And so their only hope is to try to discredit. So they're trying, they're trying to stab whatever they can to try to get something to fall out. But, but Moses was a witness to the preeminence of Christ. Right? John acknowledges this in John 1.17 when he stated, For the law was given through Moses, grace and truth came through Jesus Christ. You see the beauty of that? If we try to enter the kingdom of God through the law, good luck. Because the scripture says if we felt one, if we felt one iota, it means that we fell completely because the standard is too high. The standard is perfection. But the one who've come with grace and truth, the one who is the fulfillment of the law, the one who have come and who have died to pay for sin once and for all, you can get in by just believing in him and what he have done. You see, that's why it's the angelion. That's why it's good news. Because we are getting something we don't even deserve. That's why we struggle with this idea of our salvation. Because we know deep in our hearts we're crooked and we don't deserve to be in. We know that we struggle with the corruption in our minds. And God is so good that he lets us in. What a good God. What a beautiful thing you have done for us. And that's why we can say like the blind man, I don't know what you're talking about. I know what he did for me. All that technical stuff, I know what he did for me. He saved me, a wretched sinner, and he gave me life. And so we see the Beautiful picture here of Christ. The Jewish leaders didn't understand that. 
the very thing they are clinging to will be the very thing that judges them. You want to get in by the law? When you and your life is tested according to the law, if you failed in any way, the law is going to judge them. And he's going to say, depart from me, worker of iniquity. I do not know you. And it's interesting because they're making the same claim. I don't know this man. And one day, God is going to judge. And he's going to say, I don't know you. We don't have relationship. But when we're before the Father, the Son will vouch and say, he's, he's in the family. He's one of us. What a great privilege to be at the front of the line and then see the whole line who are trying to get in. And then the owner says, come on. Right? And then you walk all the way up being privileged. I know the owner. And this is what God has done for us. He has enabled us to enter the kingdom of God having all rights and privileges. Legally, because of what the Son has done for us and that he paid for our sins in full and he said, it is finished. And those whom the Son sets free shall be free indeed. This is the freedom we have to live in. And so, here's their problem as well. They're hoping in Moses. The Lord says in John 5, 45 through 47, Do not think that I will accuse you to the Father. There is one who accuses you, Moses, on whom you have set your hope. For if you believe Moses, you would believe me. He wrote of me. But if you do not believe his writings, how will you believe my word? You see how they are condemning themselves? It's clear that they they didn't understand what they were doing. Essentially, they are self-condemning themselves by relying on the law instead of grace and truth. Point number three, the beggar's wisdom. I think I blew through point number two. I didn't even mention it. Sorry about that. Point number three, the beggar's wisdom. In response to the Jews, the man answered, beginning at verse 30, why this is an amazing thing. You do not know where he comes from, and yet he opened my eyes. So here, This is the fourth time he has inferred or stated that it was Jesus who opened his eyes. In a way, he appears to be defending the Lord. Right? I don't know about you, but I I felt like that before. If somebody says something, like, hold up, wait a minute. (laughs) You know, let's talk. What do you mean? (laughs) Right? Uh, We're in a barbershop all the time, so stuff gets said or whatever, and we got to talk about that. You know, and we discuss it in the barbershop. And so I could understand how this man felt when he had such an amazing experience with the Lord and they're trying to poke holes in his testimony. And so no one would consider defending the Lord unless he or she first believes in him as the one who speaks with authority over creation and is merciful to the blind. The man continued, and he includes them as well. Y'all, we know God does not listen to sinners, but if anyone is a worshiper of God and does his will, God listens to him. The once blind man adds a reasonable and logical conclusion 
for himself and the Pharisees to consider. All right? This is the beggar's wisdom. He's very wise. In verse 32, he says, Never since the world began has it, I want to say, ever been. That's, that's Steve's version of that. Um, has it been heard that anyone opened the eyes of a man born blind? I, I think he might be doing it again. This might be a taunt, right? He, he turns the table on them and begins teaching them. It's as if he's saying, let me, let me show you a little something, right? And so he turns the table on them and begins teaching them the very thing that they're trying to do with him. So what's the odds of that happening? A man once born blind, abandoned, rejected, disowned, and excommunicated is now teaching the religious elites about God. We know that it happens because God called fishermen and turned the world upside down. We know that when the Spirit of God is at work, God is able. And so here we see this man, this beggar, right, who is slapping them in the face with the truth. And then the man adds his final thoughts with a summary. In verse 33, the man adds, if this man were not from God, he could do nothing. Simple. Simple. What, what, what are we talking about? Right? The once born Blind man is trying to reason with them, but they are spiritually dead. That's why when we share the gospel, it's hard for people to understand because they're in the dark. And so when we're sharing the gospel, we have to be understanding that unless the Spirit turns the light on, the Scripture says that the natural man cannot perceive the things of God. He, he don't have the ability. But because we don't know when the Spirit is working, we still throw seeds wherever we can because it might land on good soil and the Spirit could be at work. And so, we want to share the gospel with all. Right? So, they have chosen to remain in darkness. The, the, blind, I mean the, the, the once born blind man is trying to reason with them. Verse 34, they answered, you were born in utter sin. And they didn't include themselves. <laughs> That's again, them trying to up them one. Would you teach us, as if they're saying we're the elite, we know what we're talking, uh, what we're talking about. We're, we're, we're from the lineage of Moses. And what did they do? They couldn't take it. And that's, that's what the truth does. The truth will beat you on the head, right, until you leave. Or oh, they will make you leave. And we see the picture here, right? This man was telling them the truth. And what did they do in response? Instead of saying, give us more, we want to hear more, we want to understand, they were afraid. And so what did they do? They cast him out. They excommunicated him. So in response, we see that they would excommunicate him because of him telling the truth. This is why his parents refused to speak on his behalf, they were afraid that this might happen to them. They were afraid of being put out of the synagogue. And this man was born blind in sin, true indeed. But the Savior, the light of the world, the one who came to save and seek that which was lost, had found him and saved him. It was the Lord's doing. He started the work, and he said in the beginning, 
so that the works of God would be displayed in him. The Lord knew him, and it was his will to save him. The Apostle Paul was sure of this as well, and that's why he stated with confidence in Philippians 1.6, And I am sure of this, that he who began a good work in you will bring it to completion at the day of Jesus Christ. And again, in 1 Thessalonians 5.24, it reminds us about the faithfulness of God, stating that he who calls you is faithful. He will surely do it. So the Jews decided to excommunicate the man because they no longer wanted to hear from him as if they're saying, I'm done with you. They refused to accept his testimony because this, they missed an opportunity to hear how God took a blind reject in society and transformed him into a witness for God. So they had the opportunity to hear about hope and freedom but instead, they rejected the opportunity, which only means that they would remain in spiritual bondage. <clears throat> and in, eight, in John 8, 31 through 34, it states, <clears throat> this, the Lord, <clears throat> so Jesus said to the Jews who had, believed in, who had believed him, if you abide in my word, you are truly my disciples, and you will know the truth, and the truth will set you free. They answered him, we are offspring of Abraham and have never been enslaved to anyone. How is it that you say you will become free? Jesus answered them, truly, truly, I say to you, everyone who practices sin is a slave to sin. This is a reminder to us that we must be a witness for Christ, continuing in being a witness wherever we go. Whenever there's the opportunity, and that leads us to our final, <clears throat> it leads us to our next point, <clears throat> the beggar's profession of faith. In verse 35 through 38, it says, Jesus heard that they had cast him, the man, out, and having found him, he said, do you believe in the Son of Man? He answered, and who is he, sir, that I may believe in him. Jesus said to him, you have seen him, and it is he who is speaking to you. He said, Lord, I believe, and he worshiped him. Here we see the man's faith continues to progress. After regeneration, then comes faith, and after faith, we said, then comes confession, and after confession comes repentance and obedience. The man born blind was regenerated by the Spirit of God, drawn by the Father, and chosen by the Son. With the Spirit's help, he believed in the authoritative word of Christ. When he said, go and wash in the pool of Siloam, the word Siloam means sent. The man was sent by God. The man who was born blind went in obedience to Christ because he was sent by God. And so he washed and came back seeing. Jesus cared very much about the man, knowing that he was excommunicated. He went to find the man. And Jesus asked the man, do you believe in the Son of Man? The Lord knew that he was going to save him because he elected him before the foundation of the world. But he wanted the man to know who it was that healed him. The very thing we're learning today, as we come to Christ, we don't know everything about God. God is constantly revealing himself. He's constantly illuminating his word so that we might see clearly and better who he is and what he have done for us. 
A lot of us have experienced that, experienced that before becoming reformed. It's as if we were being born again. When we came and we started learning more about reformed theology, it changed how we're thinking. It changed how we understood things because it showed us things that were in the scriptures that we were unaware of. And so we see this same idea with the Lord. The man spoke with conviction to the Jews, but to the Lord he was humble. What a beautiful picture he answered. And who is he, sir, that I might believe, that I may believe in him? And Jesus said to him, You have seen him, and it is he who is speaking to you. He said, Lord, I believe, and he worshiped. What a wonderful testimony of this blind man who was rejected by society, known as a beggar, but God. But God, he had a plan for him. We can also relate to the blind man because we started out spiritually blind like him. But God, in his grace, saved us that we might serve the true and living God. What a great privilege. And anyone who have been affected by the gospel will no longer be the same. It cannot, it cannot be. Because once God takes over, all we can do is submit under his authority. It doesn't mean we won't stumble and fall on our faces, but we, we can't remain there. Why? Because there is one who has come and who has taken over. And there is a, a, a restructuring that is going on, right? There's, there's some changes that, that is going on. We're, we're putting off the old man and we're putting on Christ. And so it would only lead to more of Christ and more worship. And so therefore, like the man, we must all continue to get to know the Savior. There can never be enough, but it's going to take us to be committed. Committed to prayer, committed to reading his word, committed to participating in the means of grace, committed to serving one another, committed to stirring up one another, edifying one another, building one another up in love. It's going to take all of that, and we're going to need the Spirit of God to help us so that as a church, we might be all that God is calling us to do. And calling us to be. So, finally, the moment of truth. As a summary, Jesus closes in this way. He says, for judgment I came into this world. That those who do not see may see. Right? He, he's telling us for why he came. So what other mediator, if any, said, I came to give my life as a ransom for many? I came to, not to be served, but to serve and to give my life as a ransom for many. He came to make payment with life. And so... The scripture teaches us in Luke 19.10, For the Son of Man came to seek and to save the lost. Here the Lord gives a more precise meaning about his coming into the world. He explains that he came so that those who do not see may see. In other words, he came to heal those that are spiritually blind. And he came also so that those who see may become blind. In other words, those who believe that they see will actually remain in spiritual darkness. 
And some of the Pharisees that was nearby, they heard him and said to him, are we blind? It's kind of called conviction, right? That they're hearing the word. They, they, they can't deny what's being said. It's affecting them. And what did it says? If you were blind, the Lord says, you would have no guilt, but that you say, we see your guilt remains. In John 15, just to give a little bit more clarity on what the Lord is saying, in John 15, verses 22 and 20 through 24, here's what the Lord states to them, to the Pharisees. He says, if I, have, if I had not come and spoken to them, they would not have been guilty of sin. They would have been free. In other words, to much is given, much is required. So, so they, they know the truth. I have come, not, I have not come and spoken to them. They would not have been guilty of sin, but now they have no excuse for their sin. Now they know better. If I had not come and spoken to them, they would not have been guilty of sin, but now they have no excuse, no excuse for their sin. Whoever hates me hates my father also. If I had not done among them the works that no one else did. This is why Jesus is able to say, I am the way, the truth, and the life. There's no way to the Father except through me. And so he points to his works, the works that no one else did. They would not be guilty of sin, but now they have seen and hated both me and my Father. The blind man made to see illustrates those who accept God's verdict of man's lost condition, the self-righteousness of the self-righteous Pharisees who refuse to bow to the Lord's decision. They were, the scripture says, were condemned. So it's necessary to, for us to humble ourselves, recognize that we are sinners, and then we can come to know God. Our own righteousness, insufficient funds. It's unacceptable before God. So before we can come to know God, we must recognize ourselves as sinners, and that's what we've all done. So if you're here today, you must humble yourself. Recognize that you too are a sinner just like us. And we want you to receive the bread that comes from the one who is the bread of life. So the moral of the story is you can be a blind beggar, abandoned, excommunicated, born in utter sin, and yet be drawn by the Father and saved by the Son. Listen to what the Lord states about our inability to come to God on our own. God is the one who initiates salvation by way of the Father, the Son, and the Spirit of God. We respond in faith, obedience, and repentance. John 6, 44 644, no one can come to me unless the Father who sent me draws him, and I will raise him up on that last day. And finally, in John 6:65, this is why I told you that no one can come to me, the Lord says, unless it is granted to him by the Father. We see this idea of election and predestination right before us. The Lord says, I intend, and we respond. So the question is, is the Lord drawing you today if you don't know him as Lord and Savior? And will you submit to his will? Will you submit to his word? Will you come to know him as your Lord and your Savior? Will you believe that he died for your sin, paid for it in full?
was buried, rose again from the, ga- the grave. The scripture says, if you believe, if you confess with your mouth the Lord Jesus, you shall be saved. Are you being drawn today? Will you profess? 